This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. All right, it is Monday. You know, that means we have an opportunity to stop by and talk with Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com, also a contributor to our good friends at Equity Guru. Good morning, Robert. How are you? Good morning, Roberto. Yeah, the guru. I've got a little investor roundtable to cut later today. I'm kind of stoked about that. It's about psychedelics. Okay, so fun fact about this. Before we get into the world of hockey, speaking of psychedelics, which sometimes I feel Twitter is on, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about the fact that that used to be kind of the 60s thing, but yep. it's come full circle. And right now it's a pretty hot topic. Very much so. It's almost like an, at a medicinal level. And there's like this, these micro dosing things going on. It's a whole different animal. It's kind of like the new pot, right? It's not a far as long in terms of legalization in a lot of places and, you know, all the things that come with that, but it is um, being realized by a lot of people, the strong benefits uh, for mental health, actually. Well, you know what? Lots to talk about. So the roundtable, Equity Guru, you, Jody Vance, Chris Perry, Asan, Galen, they're all hanging out. Trying mm -hmm. to give you tips and get you in the right direction. Yep, now, make some money. Speak, yeah, well, that kind of reigns supreme, doesn't it? Yeah, little, <laughs> little dough, little dough in the stock market. I, I don't made know a little dough. By the way, I made a little dough on the weekend football games. Oh, I won both my picks. I was no, very happy about that. Yes, and that San Francisco uh, Los Angeles game had me a little nervous, but uh, we got through it. So very good. All right, a team that needs to kind of get it going. Is the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if we're punch drunk just on that 8-0-1 run that Bruce Boudreaux, the Bruce, there it is, moment of this season, uh, got us on. But all of a sudden, I look up at Vancouver. In their last 10 games, 3-4-3, three, and three, uh, all of a sudden, you see that game against Calgary, and you've got this, quote, all of a sudden moment where the realization is that there's still a lot of work to be done if they're going to make it to the postseason. Absolutely. I mean, let's not... Uh, let's cut to the chase here. And we're fully cognizant of the fact that it's unlikely. Like this is a very difficult task that lies ahead. Not impossible. And we've seen what the team is capable of with his motivation and coaching and systems and with them all pulling in the same direction. They keep having the COVID setbacks. And that, yes, we hear all the teams are in the same, have, you know, they're in the same boat, but the timing has been particularly crappy for the Canucks along the way. And now we'll see what they can do. They're going to play a Chicago team that they've defeated earlier this season. They're playing a Nashville team the next day. That would be tomorrow, Tuesday that they beat just two weeks ago, three to one. So they need to take care of business in these next two games to make it interesting or slightly more interesting going into this little all-star break that's coming up. And then they got a slew of home games in February. They get some of those makeup games that were postponed back. So they'll try to take care of business with some home cooking, but it is a mountain to climb still at this point. And uh, nobody's going to kid anybody about that. So we'll see. It'll be fun. I I'm trying to figure out what this Vancouver Canuck team is at this. You know, I see how they handled Winnipeg 5-1 and just looked dominant start to finish. And then that clunker against Calgary. I mean, you could talk about systems all you want, but I feel like this team, now that the, um, the party's over, as far as that stretch that they had for two and a half weeks with the coaching change, 
They're still kind of looking for that that identity and hanging really on the shoulders of just two or three of their players. Well, it starts with Demko. So, yes. you know, he's just stepped right back in and played an amazing game, as Tyler Myers alluded to this morning during the media availability from Chicago. Um, yeah, and I asked Bruce Boudreaux about the, the kind of the psychology of it. And I don't want to hypothesize about what they might have all been thinking, but they came out flat. They were, he called it skating in quicksand. And I, I sometimes think that the guys start to think of, they hear trade baloney, then they start to think about, oh my God, look at the task that we have ahead of us to try to get back into these playoffs. And you can't, they have to be reminded, you have to just, again, it's cliche, but you have to think about one period of time, one shift at a time. You can't think about, oh, we've got to win three or four. It's got to be, I got to win my next shift. Uh, And that's the only way to go about it. I don't know what was weighing on them, if anything at all, but they did come out. They were were terrible uh, in terms of energy until some point in the first half of the second period, there was a big hit delivered. Imagine that physicality spurring Mm. on a hockey team. There was a big hit and suddenly they came to life. I think Tyler Mott was involved. I'm trying to remember the moment, but I'm like, boy, they suddenly have some legs. Am I to assume that if JT Miller leaves this team, that all of a sudden the air comes out of the tire? You had a great article just yesterday at Vancouver Hockey Now, and you were talking about the increasing Canucks trade talks, making a lot of assumptions and assumption, assume, ass out of you and me. We got to a lot of different conversations, but when you bring up JT Miller, and I thought it was great that you actually brought up the analytic, I'm going to actually quote you here. The Canucks have decided to trade their leading scorer, Miller, who has 10 more points than the next guy, wins 54% of his faceoffs, plays center, plays wing, plays with an edge, comes up big at keys moments. He's 29 and only five and a half million dollars. They can't <laughs> possibly do this, can they? Right. And by the way, when you say the Canucks have decided to trade their leading scorer, Miller, that's not me reporting anything. That's that's an assumption. Yeah. yeah, That's, and that's not me saying that I want that to happen or think it's going to happen. That came after the sentence, ask you, me, number three, because I did (laughs) ask you and me, number one, two, three, three B and four talking about why assumptions, as you said, assume makes an ass out of you and me. And in this case, you know, you're throwing all that away for what exactly Mm -hmm. so assume ask you out of you and me number three b was okay so you get the child prospect and a middling first round pick uh, to replace all of those qualities within the next what four years just Mm -hmm. in time for thatcher demko to turn 30 Um, maybe you also get a second pair of defensemen and another high pick that was kind of my point and I heard this actually discussed on hockey night in canada the other night as well and a couple of the little panelists said yeah, I'm not getting rid of him. Who, how do you replace this guy? Now, here's a here's a disclaimer. I and this is and this is not suggesting suggesting anything, but I just know from past experience that if there's any issues in the dressing room, then possibly you have to make some changes uh, because you just have to because it can it can ruin any team's chances moving forward. I'm not suggesting that. Um, in any way, shape, or form. I'm just throwing that out there to say that would justify a maneuver. Otherwise, this is a guy that I keep at five and a half million dollars. This is not someone that you need to purge this salary. Yes, this hockey team needs some salary cap room, but getting rid of your leading scorer, who's a, again, like I like to say, taking the game more seriously than everyone else, who turns 29 in March and does everything. And 
is a clutch guy. They're 10, one and one when he scores a goal. So they, they ride on his back quite often. Um, I don't understand what they think they're going to get back in return and why they would do it uh, in advance of a season where he's making five and a half million, unless there's something we don't know, but otherwise, no, thank you. I, I, I like having them around. I'll take my chances. Mm-hmm. And if I need to get rid of them, I'll get rid of them later. We're still almost 50 days away from the trade deadline, by the way. So if they lose three games out of their next six or seven and bleh, playoffs are dead, even then I, I'd have to question what the plans are trade-wise because we don't know what the short, middle, or long-term mandate is for this hockey team. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was watching the game against Calgary and I was like, you know what? The Flames fans probably think they have a pretty good team. You know, I was looking at what they had and, you know, you talk about Manjapani and, and a few of the others. And I said, you know what? They probably think they have a good team. We here in Vancouver sometimes wear the rose colored glasses, assuming that everybody knows we have a good team, quote unquote. But I'd be curious to talk to somebody out of market who looks at Vancouver from a distance, not because we're all blue and green. And we are all Canucks. I wonder what they would think of this Vancouver roster right now. Because we sit here and we say, okay, we got asset, asset, asset. One, you need a trade partner. But two, I'd be curious to know if we really believe as a city, as a fan base, how far we are from the upper tier of the NHL. Yeah, there's a little bit of mystery. It's only added mystery and intrigue since Boudreaux came over and since the guy started to play so well, right? They really haven't been out of many games since then. I mean, they they were missing some personnel and Again, I don't want to get into the whole postponement thing and starting the road trip after 10 days off and all that nonsense where, you know, it's water under the bridge at this point with the COVID postponements. But um, I think the hockey people around the league view it the same as we do. And that is, you know, they definitely need some depth along the blue line. They could use some secondary scoring. But then again, most teams could say that they're set in goal. I mean, you couldn't be more golden. Um, obviously, Halak, who's starting in Chicago, by the way, because it's back-to-back, Halak night one, uh, Demko night two in Nashville. Um, You know, he's here on a one-year deal. People keep saying, oh, we got to get rid of him because of the bonus. Well, guess what? The bonus transfers. From my understanding, it doesn't matter if he reaches his his bonus while he's here or after he leaves, it's still going to transfer over to whatever hockey team he ends up with if he waives his no-move clause. So he doesn't have to go anywhere. And in the meantime, if he decides to stay, they've got an outstanding goaltending tandem. Mm -hmm. So I I think everybody views the Canucks from outside the market the same way that people that really follow the team do here. They know what's lacking and they know what the strengths are. They know which guys are catalysts. And Miller is a catalyst and Connor Garland is a catalyst. And his name keeps coming up. He has four years left at under five. you know, 13, six and one when he gets a point. Uh, so when he's on, he's really on and he's, he drives energy. He has been absent certain nights you'll notice, but when he is on, the team is on with him. And that is a, uh, that's a quality you can't replace sometimes. And he's a shift disturber. Well, he is absolutely a shift disturber. And I also say in year one, you almost have to give these guys get out of jail free card because, you know, you say, well, certain nights he's not there. You mentioned it a couple of shows ago, how Bruce Boudreaux, I think in his first like 10 or 11 games, never once brought out the same lineup, that there was always somebody being in COVID protocol with an injury that affects players. 
you know, so on the nights where certain guys don't show up on the score sheet, I'm a little more resilient just because of what they're going through right now. Okay, let's pull the lens back a bit. Very quickly touch on Chicago before we touch on some of the teams in the Pacific Division. This is a team as of late that Vancouver's had a pretty good run against. Two and one in their last three head-to-head meetings. Uh, But the power play has been something that has clicked relatively well for Vancouver against Chicago, who have really scuffled in their last 10. Uh, Is this the perfect storm where the Canucks can get back on track? Or is this a bear trap just waiting to snap on the paw? No, I think it's a team that they they enjoy playing. I think they have confidence going into Chicago. I think they handled them before, and I think they can handle them again. It's a team that's a mixture of old and young and, and really doesn't have uh, the chemistry and the, the balance that obviously they used to have. They were dominant through the uh, for, for a decade. I mean, Jonathan K- uh, Taves' health has been a mystery. Uh, Alex Dabrinkit is an elite shooting talent. Um, you know, and then there's Patrick Kane, but these guys are getting up there a little bit in age. Um, they need work throughout their lineup in terms of figuring things out. And then, you know, they have, they've got Flower in net. Mark Andre Fleury has, I think, played 30 plus games this season, and you know, not the numbers that he's used to having. And th- there's just work to be done in Chicago. And I think with energy and intensity and hard work, I think. This particular Canucks team is confident going into Chicago against this particular Blackhawks team. I look at the Vancouver Canucks schedule right now, and it makes me nervous because these are a couple of teams that a couple of weeks ago, as you mentioned, the the likes of Nashville, they handled pretty well. We're going to see what this Canuck team is with this little road trip right here because I think the adrenaline and the shift change and everything that came with that was good. We'll see who's made the adjustments coming around this time. Um, Are you even remotely interested in what's going on with the Olympics right now? Yeah, I am. What I think it it's got to get you peppery for that. I had a conversation with my wife about this just yesterday and she goes, are the Olympics still happening? Right. And I looked and I was like, no, I, I'm dead serious because right. yep. when you, when you send the big ballers over there, obviously that gets to the second tier fan with the NHLers not going to the Olympic games right now. I think the interest might have dwindled down to the diehards and Patriots. No. Yeah, no question about it. There, I do know people. I have people in my life who are Olympic fanatics. Like they, they think it's the greatest thing in on the planet, and they will mm-hmm. watch it religiously from start to finish. I'm not one of those people, but I do know people that are very, very much into it, regardless of whether the NHL is there or not. Um, and then, obviously, what you just pointed out is mostly true. However, it drops off when the NHL decides not to go. But I happen to write a help contribute to a and edit a twice a week international hockey newsletter uh, with a buddy in Stockholm and another guy in New York. And then Vancouver is representing uh, and just did a piece on the Finnish, Swedish, and Russian goalies in the Olympics. Uh, Good old Harry Satari and the boys in Finland. Oh yes. Harry Satari. Who I kind of actually kind of like their chances. So I'm into it that way. There's, there's a lot of, uh, find talent um, playing in this thing regardless and some really entertaining players that play overseas. So yeah, I'm into it, but no question. Most people are like, what? I don't care. In fact, you know what? I might repost. I'm going to probably on occasion, I will take a a hockey wanderlust article that I've put together and I'll wait a day or two and then I'll put it up on Vancouver hockey now to see what kind of interest it gets. And sometimes they get a lot of interest and other times they're like, eh, 
mm-hmm. but I might put the goalie story up so people can check it out if they want. I would be a fan of that if you did. Uh, looking at the NHL in the Pacific Division right now, hottest team, Edmonton Oilers. That is a team who really, really wore it at the beginning of this month. And as we get ready to flip the, uh, flip the calendar page to February, mm-hmm. four wins in a row, the addition of Evander Kane, they've mm-hmm. kind of weathered it, figured out their goaltending somewhat. If they go out and add one more piece, they, for example, they went out, they got Evander Kane, that kind of solidified their top six, or at least in my opinion. If they can find a goaltender, a half-decent goaltender, just to make sure that, you know, Koskinen's got a little bit of support, you know, with everything and injuries and everything they've gone through, are they all of a sudden one of the elites again in the Pacific? In the Western Conference, for that matter? I will say um, could be, should be, but, man, you brought up a huge possible void, and that's with Smith Hurt between the pipes. It's like, good luck figuring that out. Because if Koskinen's a mess... And Skinner's the backup. Um, why why wouldn't they go at, out? Why would sorry not to cut you off? Why wouldn't they go out and do a deal with Chicago and get a Mark Andre Fleury, right? Who would yeah. surely waive his no trade, yeah. even though it's Edmonton, but it's a, a shot at one more cup. Yeah, and it'd be a rental, so he doesn't care. He doesn't have to move or anything. He doesn't have to worry about the family. You just go play hockey for two months, and you hope it's another two months, right? Mm-hmm. No, I think Kenny Holland will pull the trigger on on something because he'll have to because they're going to put themselves back in a position, as you just mentioned. I think they will put themselves back in in position. Anaheim Ducks have been pretty damn good too, to be quite honest. They've won a couple in a row again and and, uh, putting on some fireworks-type offensive displays as of late. Um, We had the Michigan goal the other day. Yes, we did. Um, I don't know why they don't call it the Mike Leg goal. I don't know why people can't remember the kid's name, but it was Mike Leg with two G's that scored that goal. He's a local guy, is he not? Uh, I don't I, know I where say Mike he lives. Like I, I want to say he lives around here. Really, Mike Leg? Yeah, we'll have I to see. look that up because I'd say I, I he came and played in the minor league market that I was in for a year or two, so I got to know Mike Leg. It was not, in fact, it was within two years after he scored that goal. So I'd Mike, love to talk to him. I, I, I'm almost certain he's out here because last year when I was doing that show, The Nation on YouTube, there was the Chamber of Commerce, who was our title sponsor. And they said, oh, we'd love to do a package where we bring in Mike Leg to do a series of like how to shoots and how to deflects. And we'll show you the Michigan and we'll do. Huh. And I said, oh, no kidding. So I, I could be dead wrong, but I could swear that Mike Leg is in the vicinity, if you will. Hmm. Well, he's a London, Ontario native, and then he went to Michigan, obviously, and um, played some minor league hockey after that. And I don't know, never made it to the big show, but uh, I don't lives, know. We'll have to find him. One moment. I love every second of it. Right? Yeah. All right. So very quickly, as we wrap things up, and I do appreciate you doing this, let's circle back very quickly on this Vancouver Canuck team right now. I would assume the front office is pretty locked in, right? I mean, are we done with the moves? Is there another move to be had? Another assistant GM in the works? I think so. Really? I think there's one. Yeah, I think so. From the sounds of it, the way Jim was talking, I think there's maybe one more to go. Um, we have uh, Emily and we have uh, we have Derek and we have Patrick. Patrick, of course, being Alvin, Alvin the Swedish general manager. Uh, there might be one guy or person coming along to uh, to round it out because we've got scouting covered, we've got analytics covered, 
um, some of the business, you know, maybe it'll be more of a jack of all trades type person or more of a kind of a businessy type coming in. I don't know. I, but I get the feeling there's one left, one, one position remaining. I kind of like the fact that Patrick Alvine's been low key, you know, not big brash walking in, banging drums, pots and pans, just immediately stepped in and got to work. Like yeah. that to me is the kind of guy that we want. Last thing that I had for you, somebody said to me, Bruce Boudreaux, they just went out to get a name. Canucks don't usually have Canucks, uh, or pardon me, Canucks don't usually have coaches that are names. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, five of their last seven coaches have been names. Right. The Torts and Torts, you know, Keenan. Crawford. Yeah, Mike yeah. Keenan. Yeah. They've Ever tell you a story about Mike Keenan? Mike Keenan, I guess, doesn't like shaking hands. So we were at the old Pacific Coliseum. <laughs> it was a Giants game. And I was walking with Greg Douglas, Dr. Sport. And Mike Keenan was walking across the catwalk. You know, the old Coliseum where you got to basically like put your life on the line to get to the press box. Yeah. And sure enough, he had just come off and he goes, they were chatting for a cent. And he goes, oh, this is my friend, Rob. And I put my hand out to extend it to Mike Keenan, who didn't put his hand out. So I was so flustered that right. I actually, with my other hand, reached for his wrist, grabbed his hand and shook it. Like I was, I didn't know what to do. So the next thing you know, he's shaking my hand. And I felt like, oh my God, this guy's going to kill me. But just a really, I guess if you know me, he's a super nice guy. But to the, to yeah. the naked eye, a guy that never met him, I could not have been more intimidated. Yeah. And you're, and it, that's an awkward feeling when you're left hanging on a handshake. <laughs> I mean, no, one but thing I've never was... grabbed a hand to make sure that he would shake it. Like it was so weird. So bizarre. Yeah. So. Now I've, I've talked to him on, a few occasions and and did a long interview with him once at Gretzky's restaurant in Toronto, uh, probably almost 10 years ago. Great uh, spot. Yeah. No, it's gone. Closed during COVID. Yeah. Uh, what do they do with all the stuff that was in Gretzky's, for example? I don't know. Maybe, well, Walter passed away, but so it won't go back in his basement because he had, he had basically like hall of fame part two in the basement yes, of his did. house <laughs> <laughs> in Brantford or whatever. We were talking about, um, named coaches and the GMs and Patrick Alvin. That's another thing about Rutherford, you know, about the trade talk, like it would be kind of, it would seem a little awkward. Obviously again, we're 48 ish days away from the trade deadline. And these guys just brought in Alvin last week to evaluate and to kind of get caught up. Um, I think Jim Rutherford would, even if it's just to keep up appearances would prefer to wait to make any maneuvers at least have all being in the saddle a little bit longer because people are obviously going to say, Oh, well, see, it's Rutherford making the moves after all, because there's no chance in hell that all making a trade five days after he got here. So mm -hmm. when would you consider reevaluating Bruce Boudreaux for the long term? Like I know that he's got this year and he's got next year and there's probably 18,000 things they got to do before Bruce Boudreaux. But would this be something that if he, Pretty good coach, pretty good track record, young enough that he's got several years left in his back pocket. I mean, would you consider offering him a three-year deal and just locking that up? No, there's no rush. What's the point? I mean, there's it's not like a player. It's not like some high-profile free agent that you want to start talking to the summer before his contract expires, you know, the following at the end of the season. I mean, it's a coach. And obviously, in certain situations, it can be awkward if you wait too long. And we've seen, you know, pocket vetoes where guys just end up losing their job because they just gets, gets to the end. And they said, yeah, you know what, we're going to move on. But in his case, now you got, even if it's just two, you've still got a heap of time 
and the, uh, uh, he hasn't been here that long. So that's, I was just, I was just curious. I was yeah, just yeah. Curious. No, two, he's got 2 million for this year, two and a half for next season. That's okay, the uh, contract according to Pierre Lebrun. So okay, there you go. They're I not worried. They're not worried about it. I am sure they're not worried about it. The only reason I bring it up is because with the Travis green situation, just before they of course resigned them before they fired them, um, they waited to the 11th hour and the 59th minute. I was just wondering if they thought, boy, this is a good vibe. This is a good situation. We want to show incoming players. We want to show our core that this is our guy for the next, you know, three, four years. A- again, not number one on their labor list, of course, but something that maybe they could even get done in the offseason. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Like end of summer, early fall, mm-hmm. you know, training camp, if they want to get it done ahead of time. But it is not even on their plate right now. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, I'll tell you what's on my plate. Listening back to this show. Once we're finally done, I appreciate your time today. I am off to uh, look at our wrestling venue and yeah. I will not be doing it with the guru. The guru's got bigger plans today. Is he on your round table or is it just you hanging out with the, the peeps of the world? You know, I haven't followed up with to see what his schedule is at all. I just sent a couple notes out on the general uh, roundtable discussions (laughs) feed and uh, actually haven't heard back. So that is a very flexible schedule that we'll uh, figure out as the day moves along. But uh, I don't have an answer on that for you. But money never sleeps. That's what I learned. He's probably busy hustling, doing something else. But no, you're yeah, he's, he's always hustling or dude had a he had a pretty good run with the COVID. So I know almost 100 percent. I'll tell you this. There's certain people that, you know, kind of downplay it and they poo poo it. So guys like us who have friends that are actually fighting it. I just wins. It drives me nuts, man, because yep. it's a real thing and it's tough for people. So anyways. All right. Let's finish on a positive. You're a good man. Thank you for going 30 minutes without eating in front of me. We are off running. <laughs> we'll do this again very soon, I hope. Jeez, what could I have made that would have been really annoying? Oh, deep fried potato chips, something, you know, crunchy. Or just like a hot fudge sundae. With, you know, it's dripping all. And you know what? All. I guarantee you spill every time you eat those things. Oh, I'm a pig. That's, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. Anyways, Robert, thank all you right. for this. And everything at VancouverHockeyNow.com has been spot on so far. Uh, you're riding a hot wave right now. Just keep doing what you do and don't change a thing. Thank you very much, Robert. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.